Welcome to the newest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network, Survive and Thrive, a podcast co-hosted by Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist, and Courtney Nordrum, Regulatory Counsel and Chief Compliance Officer at Deluxe. This season on Survive and Thrive, we're talking about compliance disasters, which befell companies because they weren't looking at the right clues, had their collective heads in the sand, or did not expect the unexpected. If you want to know how to prepare for and avoid disasters from the compliance perspective, this podcast series is the podcast series for you. Survive and Thrive. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance. Welcome to the newest edition to the Compliance Podcast Network, Survive and Thrive. This is a podcast where we unpack compliance crises, disasters, walk you through all the red flags which appeared, and give you some lessons learned going forward. I'm your co-host, Tom Fox. And I'm Courtney Nordrum, Regulatory Counsel and Chief Compliance Officer at Deluxe. This season on Survive and Thrive, we're talking about compliance disasters, the unpleasant situations that companies found themselves in because they weren't looking at the right clues, had their collective heads in the sand, or they hadn't yet figured out how to expect the unexpected. Today's episode is all about timing risk and why you should care about when things happen just as much as why they happen. Courtney, that's a great point, timing. And that's one thing that I don't think many compliance practitioners, compliance professionals, and CCO types think about when they think about risk. But timing can be a risk. And today, I wanted to give you a fact pattern and see what your thoughts are, not only on the risk of timing, but more importantly, how do you manage that risk? And if something goes askance, how do you remediate that risk? I think most people now are aware that if you get a suspicious email asking you to wire transfer money at 4 p.m. on Friday afternoon, that that might be a red flag and you might want confirmation of that. Even if the person you have to confirm with is not available, you might just wait. What happens if you get that same email on Wednesday afternoon directing you to wire money to a country that celebrates the weekend beginning Thursday? Is there anything that would cause you sitting here in the United States to have a red flag raised? Absolutely. I think it is really important to know not only the culture of being in the U.S. and operating in the U.S., but the culture wherever else you're operating. I think that we all know people are the biggest risk. Humans make choices. And 95% of breaches at companies are the result of human error. I'm not making that up. I talked to the FBI about it. I have a friend, I texted him, and he said they estimate 95% of breaches are human error, social engineering. And so when things happen, has to be examined as a risk factor just as much as why they're happening. I would assume that whenever something happens and it feels wonky, that you should take timing into account every single time. So if there's multiple steps you can take to confirm or multiple steps you should take, but there's one that you can't take or the information comes back suspicious, can you still move forward if you have enough comfort with the other investigative steps you've taken? Or do you suggest that really there's a protocol, the protocol be in place and you don't deviate from that protocol? A little column A, a little column B. (laughs) 
I'm going to go back to the law school answer of it depends. So it depends on what information you have and what's the piece that you don't have. So I think that if the piece you don't have is, I don't want to say trivial, but nominally important, it would confirm your suspicions, but not necessarily rule something out, then you may be comfortable moving forward without that. But in my mind, and when I think about risk, I think it's really important to rely on the information you have, as well as why you've asked for that information. So why do you ask for the information you're asking for? And if you don't need the information you don't have, why did you ask for it to begin with? Why is it part of your control to have that information? Why are you looking there? And so to me, if you've built a program that says we're going to confirm with A, B, C, then you don't move forward until you confirm with A, B, C. If your program doesn't need C, then just get rid of C and take it out of the equation. However, I, mean, I am going to kind of meander back to what I think the original question was, which was, if there's a piece of information that's missing, do the others get more weight? Are they heftier? And I think the answer is yes. So if I don't have a piece of information, I have to put 100% of my decision making in to the information I do have, which then makes that information weightier in my decision and all that much more important that I'm looking at that with a really critical lens so we can get it right. There's a couple of things I'd like to follow up from that. The first is you've talked about having a program, but also a policy. That mm -hmm. seems to me that you've anticipated this risk and you've at least thought through the steps to take. Number two, you've communicated that policy. You've trained on that policy. And one thing we see, at least in some types of compliance, is some employees are gatekeepers and they need additional or more focused training. So do you advocate really a general training and a focused training for the true gatekeepers for risk or another approach? I advocate for general training and just-in-time training. So I'm a big fan of checklists. The reason pilots don't make mistakes the way they used to. And the reason surgeons don't kill people as regularly as they used to anymore is because of checklists. When they use a tool in surgery, they put it on a list and then they don't close up until that tool is back on the table. And so I think that training and general awareness training is important for everyone. So let's say general privacy, data privacy training. That goes out to everyone. Everyone knows data privacy is important. Everyone knows you should shred paper and don't leave things on your desk and log out of your computer when you walk away. But there are going to be key gatekeepers who need to know more, not only because they're handling potentially more sensitive information, but because their job includes needing to do things with this data that would increase our risk as an organization. And so for those areas, that's where I love a good checklist. So I'm thinking a really good place is the sourcing and procurement space. If you're sourcing and procuring widgets, here, sourcing and procurement professionals, here are your checklist of what to do. A, are we going to be the importer of record? 
How are we getting these widgets? Where are we locating them from? Is it a high-risk country? Do we have the proper audits in place? And you give people an actual checklist where they can physically check boxes and keep an audit trail. And that way they don't have to keep it all in their head. It also serves as a really good reminder that I think something you and I probably learned in law school was you don't have to memorize everything. You just have to know where to go to get it. And if they know where to go to get the information, that's half the battle. So triggering the thought, oh, I know I have a deeper obligation here and there's a checklist somewhere that will tell me how to do that, I think is just as important as knowing and memorizing the information itself. Courtney, one of my favorite images in all of American literature are the eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg. The eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg was the billboard on Long Island Sound in the way to New York City in the novel The Great Gatsby. And every okay. time Gatsby would go into the city, the eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg would see he and his mistress heading in for a tryst. And that, to me, has really come to coalesce around having a second set of eyes on every process. And that's particularly important in compliance that I advocate a second set of eyes. So having a situation where something that was apparently routine, but because of timing has moved to a higher risk, but having a second set of eyes or someone else review the documentation, the request and the information be an appropriate step to take? Always. I like to think of it as, and I stole this from somewhere, I wish I could give it credit, but I don't remember where it's from, safety lasagna. So (laughs) you're building layers of safety and controls on each other. And one of the things that we all know exists, but we don't want to think about is the fact that a lot of bad actors are internal. I'm not going to say rogue employee because I think that that's a whole nother conversation, but there are internal actors who are making bad choices and doing so intentionally. And having the second set of eyes is a way to help thwart those bad actors. I am thinking of invoice review and things like that. Simply saying one person can't make this decision on their own. We need at least two sets of eyes, and those two sets of eyes have to be far enough apart from each other that we don't think that they're going to come together to try and pull something off on us. So it's the first layer, second layer, third layer, cheese on top, safety lasagna. The safety lasagna approach. That may actually overtake the eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg. Maybe we could use them in conjunction. Yes. Courtney, I'd like to turn now to what you see are some of the larger lessons learned for the CCO, the compliance professional, from this example. So how would you counsel or perhaps even think through the wider lessons learned for a compliance professional from our example of a suspicious email on a Wednesday afternoon? I think that it goes back to what, as compliance professionals, is in our bones, is policies, procedures, trainings, controls. It's elementary, dear Tom, elementary, but it's also the recognition of where your risk is coming from. So the timing risk, that to me is a bit of social engineering. 
that to me is a play where the bad actors know when you're going to be most vulnerable. So as compliance professionals, it's our job to hopefully be in front of that, to expect that kind of bad actor, to see around the corner, to see the folks who are trying to harm our organization or just enrich themselves and don't care who they harm. But this is, I think, one of the other benefits of having the second layer or the second set of eyes is that our programs have to have several ways of catching things. And to me, I start with, actually, let me go back for a second. First, I calibrate. So that's a conversation you have to have with leadership, the board, whoever ultimately is in charge of your organization. Calibrate and communicate on your risk appetite. So what kind of risks is your organization willing to put up with or wants to put up with or take on a daily basis? I simplify this as basically saying, do you want the people in your organization to reach out to compliance too much or not enough? It's never the perfect amount. So I tend to say, have them reach out with everything and we'll tell them when we don't need to be involved. But there is a decision to be made oftentimes over our heads on how much risk we're willing to tolerate. Once you level set on the amount of risk, that's where your controls, your policies and procedures come in. So that's where you build up your layers of defense, the safety lasagna. So you've got your policies, boom. Everybody gets a copy, everybody reads them, everybody understands them. Then you've got your procedures. This is how we do things here. Not only are these our legal policies we follow, this is the expectation of your job. Then we've got our controls. This is your next line. So if it's approving an invoice, this is your second set of eyes. Or this is the manager having to approve the cost of a, on a charge card. That's our control in place. Then we have another set of controls. Maybe it's AI that's doing algorithms in the background to spit out invoices and charges that just don't seem to fit the mold of what they should. And so you layer all of these controls on top of each other to try and stop things from happening. All of this is great in theory, and it's mostly good in practice. But I think that one of the really important things too is just teaching people when they need to pay attention. So when do you need to call compliance? When do you need to call information security? When do you just stop and take a beat? Think about what happened. What is that email on a Wednesday? What does that mean? Because now it's the weekend in the Philippines and nobody in the Philippines financial industry is doing anything for the next two days. So does that mean <laughs> something different than if I get an email on a Wednesday and it's dealing with Canada? Absolutely, it does. What's the sniff test? What does your gut say? So one of the things the Department of Justice told us last June in the 2020 evaluation update to the evaluation of corporate compliance programs was assess your risks as they arise. So what I wanted to ask is, if you're sitting in your office in Minneapolis and you read this story in the Wall Street Journal and you think, hmm, we have operations, financial payments are going to the Philippines, they're going to 
APAC. They're going to perhaps other countries that have a different weekend than the United States. Would that be an appropriate time to do a quick assessment of your risk and then take that information and improve or revise perhaps your compliance program with some just-in-time training or some other communications to ask people to stop, think, or perhaps raise their hand and call compliance? Absolutely, Tom. That is a great example of a trigger that we would use to spark an assessment and a conversation. So if this is something I see in the Wall Street Journal, something I see on Apple News, it immediately becomes a link that I send to my boss, general counsel. I'm going to send it to the CISO and I'm going to send it to my whole team and I'm going to say, hey, everybody read this and then come back to me with how prepared we think we are to deal with this kind of situation. And if it's a novel situation, like the scenario with the Philippine bank, then the answer may be, well, we're not all that prepared to deal with this because we didn't ever anticipate this was going to happen. So then that's when we kick off a real gap analysis. Where are we and where should we be? Because this is now a real risk. And one of those, the things I advocate for everyone everywhere, not that you have to listen to little old me, but be best friends, make besties with your CISO. Your cybersecurity officer is going to be your best friend. I call us internally, my cybersecurity CISO, his name's Bill, he's awesome. We are two sides of the same coin. We have the same goals, which is protecting our organization. And so when either of us see anything that we think could present an information security, cybersecurity, or compliance risk to our company, we loop the other one in and say, how is your team going to fight this? Because this is how my team is. And I think that that's a really important conversation because compliance can do a lot, but without the technical geniuses, we're not going to get very far. One of the themes that is going to run through every episode of this first season of this podcast is culture. And so I wanted to end with your thoughts on the role of culture in many of the things you've said, but particularly people having the psychological safety to step back, to say, I'm going to take a breath. I'm going to raise my hand. I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to bring someone else in, or whether it's technical expertise, whether it's a second set of eyes, whatever it may be, to look at this anomaly. So I was wondering if you could end with a few words on the importance of psychological safety and culture from the compliance perspective. So Tom, I want to know if you've been reading my diary, because (laughs) psychological safety is one of the things that I think is so important in any sort of culture, not just compliance culture, but culture everywhere. And particularly when we've all gone digital, we've lost the ability to read each other's body language. We can see each other on video, but we've completely lost the ability to interact with other humans on a personal level. And so one of the key things with psychological safety is, and in my view, being able to speak up, to speak your truth, and to do so without fear of retaliation. We know as compliance folks, and if you're not a compliance listener or not a compliance professional, but you're listening, the number one reason people give for not speaking up is 
they're afraid of retaliation. And so we are probably, I say, running uphill 90% of the time against fears of retaliation. It's really, really, really hard to get over people's fears. And the way you do that is through culture and through that psychological safety. I don't have all of the answers on that, but I think it's important to tell your workforce over and over and over again that you're there to listen. Not in like a big brother way, because that could be creepy, but in a nothing's too small to bring to compliance. It gets back to the work I did at the SCCE. Compliance is marketing to some extent where you have to go out there and make people trust the humans in your compliance team in order to build enough trust to have them report. And you have to do that by marketing yourself. You have to show that you're friendly, that you're caring, and that you're diligent in your job. If they report something, it's going to be appropriately investigated. And doing that and doing that well and over and over is how you build the culture that people get the trust to start reporting. Courtney, I'd like to end with a quote from Warren Buffett, which is, risk comes from not knowing what you're doing. And I wanted to use that quote in this example to perhaps illustrate that trained employees who may think they know what they're doing, when faced with a new, unusual, or even anomalous situation, may fall into this category of, because of being socially engineered, not knowing what they're doing. And maybe get your final thoughts on that from the compliance slash risk management perspective. So if, if you ask me to break down what I do to someone who doesn't understand corporate compliance and may not understand matrix environments, what I say is my team gives everybody the tools they need to make good choices. I'm not going to tell you what those choices have to be necessarily, but it's my job to give you the hammer and the nail to build the house of good choices. And so that's how I prepare you to spot risk. It's a very pie in the sky <laughs> way of looking at things. I tend to be an optimist, but I think that if you give people the tools and tell them to trust their guts, teach them what to look for, but I think also teach them that there's an intuitive sense of something doesn't smell right here, to trust that and bring it forward, that that is the tool. Are tools sharpened? Yes, that is the sharpest tool in the shed and the one that we want to make sure that our workforce has. That's their tool that's going to help them make good choices. Well, Courtney, I hope our listeners will join us for our next episode of Survive and Thrive. So I'm Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist. I'm Courtney Nordrum. I hope you all will join us again. Thanks so much for listening. Have you ever wanted to start a podcast? Do you have an idea which you think would be helpful to the compliance community? Do you have a great story to tell? If any of these are true, why don't you start a podcast and put it on the Compliance Podcast Network? I have partnered with One Stone Creative to create a end-to-end solution for you to tell your story on the Compliance Podcast Network. If you have questions, please email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and more importantly, I hope you will tell your story with your podcast 
on the Compliance Podcast Network.